Hey, this is Mark Kassoff, and this is RPM 45. What's it like when your very first hit is number one in the U.S. and isn't even a hit in your own home country? What's it like when you have another top 10 hit and then you decide to break the band up, not because of artistic differences, not because you're not getting along, but for financial reasons? Today, we talk to the man who has lived that experience, Trevor Steele of The Escape Club, best known for its 1988 number one hit, Wild Wild West. Is it The Escape Club or Escape Club? It's the Escape Club. The Escape yeah, Club. It was, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it started in 82. It did. I can think that far back. Yes, it was around 82 we started. And so yeah. what did you do before that? What's your path to being a successful musician? Just prior to the Escape Club, John, the guitarist, and I, we were in a band called Mad Shadows. We did quite well. That was the incarnation prior to the Escape Club. And prior to that, to be really honest, I was just in lots and lots of really crap local bands. So from deciding in school that I was going to be in a rock and roll band, which probably wasn't a smart career decision, you know, <laughs> um, I, just, I just went and did what everyone else does. You kind of rehearse around people's garages and playing local youth clubs and, and you just work your way up. So that's kind of the same story as everyone else, really, you know. So who did you look at that motivated you to want to be a rock star? Who, who was your idol? Yeah, when I was in school, it was without doubt David Bowie because Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust both came out while I was at school and they kept me buoyed up through those awful school years when I, I didn't enjoy school at all. So I was, I was watching this guy and thinking, you know what, even if I was a tenth as good as him, I'd still want to do it. And, you know, that's how it ended up. <laughs> so you started in 82 and it was a while. I mean, it's always a while before you hit it. You put on an album with EMI, and then apparently you came up with this rock dance hybrid sound. That's right. So the first album was called Whitefields. And God, in those days, you could make an album and not sell that many and then still let you make another one, which was amazing. So we made this album, Whitefields. We toured with the Alarm and Big Country and all those British sort of guitar-based bands. We picked up quite a following, but it didn't translate over to radio. So we were brought in to see the head of EMI at the time. And he said, guys, you better write a hit for the next one. I'm going to give you another album, but you better write a hit. And then we just figured, well, look, you know, there's no point in doing what we've been doing because it wasn't really hitting. So let's go back to our roots, listen to what we used to listen to. John and I and Johnny, all three of us, I think, used to listen to Mark Bolan a lot. John and Johnny, Johnny particularly was into reggae. So we were always into those groove things. And we just thought we'd just make a dance rock hybrid, you know, pick on some grooves that we used to jam on and put some interesting sounding songs over it, you know. I guess at the same time we were doing that in excess, we're in Australia doing exactly the same thing. We didn't know each other at the time. Yeah, and we just came up with this idea and, and out of it, Wild Wild West was born, you know, and, and all the other tracks on that album. And, it, you know, I'm very lucky that we did do that, really. But EMI did not like the album. <laughs> no, they didn't like the album. More to the point, they didn't think they heard a hit, which I think it shows what the A&R man's ears are like, generally. <laughs> I saw this quote, I, I think it was on your bio on your website. So, sorry, lads, we don't hear a hit. Yeah, really. Well, check your ears. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to be fair to him, it wasn't a hit in the UK. So he may have been right as far as the UK was concerned. And to give him his due, anyone should 
be able to hear that Wild Wild West is a hit, really. Absolutely right. But wasn't there a, another factor there in the UK performance of it? Well, the problem is when we signed our, our, the next deal to put Wild Wild West out, we split record labels. So one half was Atlantic, who did an astounding job in America. And on the other side, we had Warner Brothers, who didn't really get us. And I think there's, there was a thing about American music in the UK at the time. No one wanted to promote the USA. I've got no idea why, but that was just the way it was coming out of London at the time. And they just perceived us as an American band and therefore didn't really want to have anything to do with it. They just weren't interested, you know, which is a shame. Cause but weren't you also banned in the UK? Well, we yeah, kind of. I mean, what happened was the Wild Wild West video, if you if you remember, it was had loads of naked arms and legs on it, and the promo guy from Warner's said, "Oh, I've taken it to TV, and they they won't play it. It's naked things on it, and it, they banned it, which is bullshit, really. I mean, it was just him being lazy and not not really selling it. I think, in all honesty, these days now I look back on it, but but you know, we used the word banned because we thought it it helps us really. We say, yeah, we've been banned in the UK. Great, why not? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i watched it again this morning it wasn't offensive no and not really well you know you've got to take yourself back to that it was a bit frightening to kids and stuff because because it's all disembodied limbs and things like that which at the time which was great for us because it made the video very unusual but you know they weren't used to seeing that sort of thing on the tv i guess that's that's what my thoughts are yeah i, I do think it was weird i have to say that <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. It was weird, but it wasn't offensive. You know, I never thought of it from the kid angle. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the. I'm just giving you the excuses they gave us. (laughs) So, yeah. I would imagine that MTV played a major role in breaking that record and making it so big. Oh, massively. MTV, mate, well, he broke that record for us. And it's also all the all the following records we made, they were they just loved us. They played all our stuff. They were really, really good to us, MTV. Back in the day when they were playing music video. <laughs> yeah, it was a long while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talk about reality TV. I think that's all it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Wild Wild West, now that was um, a TV show. I was never a big fan of Westerns, uh, but that Western was very different. Was was that in uh, a factor at all? Were you guys aware of that, that TV show? No, I mean, I was aware of it because I'd seen it on, on TV. And Wild Wild West had become a, more than a TV show. It had become just a, a saying, I'm guessing. And, and, and really, I wrote the lyrics to that sitting in London, having never even been to the United States. And quite honestly, lyrically, it was about living in the Western world under the shadow of the Cold War. Reagan was in power there. Thatcher was in power in the UK. Loads of unemployed. It was it was reflecting those times through, through our eyes living in London. Um, and the West was a very powerful entity at the time. So you get a number one hit in the US and in other countries, you were also big. How do you cash in on all that? Well, well, the management catched in, <laughs> so did the label. I don't think we ever really did very well out of it. So we went out to the States to a number one record, which was an unusual way to visit a country. So we, we arrived in JFK with a, with a record at number one. So you can imagine that was quite, um, well, it was it was surreal to say the least. It was just the weirdest thing. We, we turned up and there was a stretch limo waiting for us and, you know, people all over us asking us questions. There were videos, all sorts of stuff going on, you know. Absolutely mad. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's it's got to be really unusual because usually it's just the opposite where, you know, bands would make it over there and then they would strive to make it over here. 
Exactly. And it was kind of weird because we'd already had the record out already in the UK where we were, you know, the four or five hundred people came and see us every night. So we were we were a rock band and we were used to playing in sweaty clubs and stuff like that, you know, and, and then to just turn up and then kind of, for want of a better word, we've suddenly overnight pop stars. It's a really weird sensation. Very strange. Yeah. But it's got to be a great sensation, though, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I, I'm trying. It's when I look back at it now, I, I just smile and go, "Wow, what a ride!" It was brilliant. But at the time, it was a bit frightening, to be really honest, because we sort of land and and they go like, "We got you know half a day to get yourselves together," and then you've got this, and there's this big long list, huge long list of interviews I, I had to do, particularly because I was a singer. So right, you're going to sit you in a hotel room, you're going to do 40 to 50 interviews today. Then our rep's going to drive you upstate and you're going to do a whole bunch more radio. Brilliant. I love doing it. It was wonderful. But we we hadn't done the slow ride up to that, if you see what I mean. Most bands, they've got a, an album that's done all right and they've done a few interviews and everything. We came in cold, you know. Wow. It was, it, what a ride. It was amazing. <laughs> Wow. And then you must have done a lot of touring across the country. Yeah, we did. We did lots of touring. Um, we toured for the next couple of years, mainly doing like sort of state fairs and, you know, just places where people would have us on. We, yeah, we just played everywhere, really. It was, it was great. It was a real blast, you know. So what's your take on this country uh, based on your 90s um, travels in, in, uh, in the U.S.? Oh, I love it. I mean, well, it's been, I could never say anything bad about the USA because it's been so good to us. Um, we spent a long time out there. I'm, actually, my first wife was American and I was married to her for a couple of years, not for long. <laughs> but um, yeah, we know it really well. What do we, I, I'm worried about it at the moment as a country. I don't know, but I'm worried about our country as well, about the UK. So it's, it's the whole world's a bit of a mess at the moment. Yes, for I mean, sure. It yeah. really is. So no, I, I think we get on better with the American audience than anywhere else in the world. And we did some 80s gigs last year. One of the favourite things to ever do because everyone's grown up. There's no record label there with their arms folded asking you to impress them. There's no radio stations really expecting anything other than a good time. And everyone at the gigs there for a party. So, <laughs> so we were doing the meet and greets afterwards and I was blown away by the people turning up sort of quite emotional really saying oh god you guys were playing when I was at high school it meant so much to me and all these things that you realize you touch people's lives and that's a, a joy you know you feel really honored to have been able to do that really there'll be more with hopefully next year let's see how it goes though you know it's it's impossible to say isn't it you know it when is. we'll actually when we'll actually be able to all mingle together again yeah you know? it is yeah everyone's kind of uh, sitting home and waiting for things to change yeah exactly we've been doing some virtual sort of little song things you know we're, we're putting stuff out there just just to keep the balls in the air and to have a bit of fun with music really but it's not the same you know it's not the same as getting out on stage now what about your second big hit uh, in this country i'll be there yeah it's an interesting story behind that yeah so we were in a strange position because obviously all the wild wild west thing had happened we'd had a few songs off of that which had got top 40 but no big hits like wild west and we went and did another album and the label was saying to us guys you we really want a ballad and we're like oh well man we don't do ballads not really we're not we're more of a rock band rah, 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 you know and but then we realized as we were looking at the way music was going all of the big hair bands you know the la big hair bands were all putting ballads out and everything was softening power so, ballads yeah there you go so towards the end of the album we thought oh, you know we're gonna have to do something to to please everybody and so we sat down and started on this track and i was sort of singing mumbling words over the top of it and the guys went out for a mexican i seem to remember 
And I said, no, 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 I'll stay here and write the lyrics. And what had happened was a friend of ours wife had died a couple of days prior to that. And it had really touched us. And I sort of started thinking, well, if I was her, what would I want to say to him? So I kind of wrote it from the perspective of being a ghost, <laughs> if you know what I mean, singing to your loved ones. So, so that's how the lyrics came about. And that seemed to touch a lot of people. And, and like I was saying about the gigs last year, the amount of people I had come up and hugging me for that song. So it's worth, it was worth writing it just to have touched a few people. It's you know? a beautiful song. Thank you. <laughs> you know, a beautiful song. And, and it, it is kind of nice that you had two big hits that are so unique from each other. It's not like you recycled yourself for this, your second big hit, even though it came you know, a few years later. Yeah, the only problem for us with that is people don't often put two and two together, don't understand, don't realise it's the same band. Oh, okay. So you get fans of both songs, and it's like when you go and do the 80s gigs, I know we, we, we start with, what I'll be there, and they go, oh, some people really know that, and then some people know Well, Well, Best, and you can see it dawning on people, oh, it's the same band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> So you guys, after after all this, you know, you've had two big hits, but then you break up, um, what, in the early 90s? Early 90s, yeah. The reason, really, that we broke up were mainly financial. Um, we were being completely screwed by everybody. And we never saw any money, to be honest, Mark. So, it, you know, you can only go so long without earning much, you know. And we were earning a bit um, from radio play and stuff like that. But, but the proper money just wasn't turning up in our pockets at all. And contractually, we got ourselves in such a mess that we couldn't get out of it. Huh. You know what? It's like so unbelievable to the average person. And I'm including myself definitely in that category. We think you guys are all rock stars, rich, you know, uh, you know, driving Ferraris and living in big houses. And, and it's, yeah, it's and it's not always that way, is it? No, well, we should be. It's like, um, well, Wild Wild West, I would say, was quite a big song. Well, it was a very big song, wasn't it? And, and I did earn... Number I did one, earn, you can't get bigger. Yeah, no, you can't. So, so I did earn money from radio play because they couldn't get their greasy hands on that. But then when I've got... Um, you know Joey Tempest from Berlin? Was it Berlin? You know, from Europe. From Europe. Europe. Europe was the name of his band. He wrote The Final Countdown, which was a big song. Yes. That's a very big song. You know, Wild West is a pretty big song too. And I went to visit him in London because me and my wife knew his wife and went to visit him. His, honestly, his apartment just was one of the best, most expensive apartments in London. And I was looking around and going, well, you know what? <laughs> I should have this because <laughs> really, you know, there's not really much, much air between the two of us. Yeah, maybe their band were a little bit bigger, but not that bigger, you know? So, oh man. It upsets me, but you get over it, you know. <laughs> it is, it, but you know, it's. I'm learning. It's not an uncommon story, especially in the '80s. No, and and you know what? I do work in the business now, and quite honestly, the record business still runs like that. And the and the reason it does is because there's a myth that when you do well, you get rich, and they perpetuate that. They they keep you thinking that. And and also when you sign as a band or as an artist, you're so desperate for the deal, which they wave in front of you and say, Oh, we're thinking of signing you. You sign your life away. And and unless you've got a really brilliant manager, you can't really renegotiate. So you've already these days they're taking all the merchant gigs off the bands as well. So they're not going to make any money again. It's shocking. It's just a shocking way of doing things. 
I mean, a lot of people are doing it independently now. And, and I think you can probably have half the streams of a, of a major signed artist and earn loads more money than them, really, you know, just just from the gigs and merch, you know. It's, uh, it's very disappointing to think about that people would have all the success and then end up in debt. Well, yeah, we weren't actually in debt. I'm not, I'm not badly off. But it was when you know how much money there is involved. Say, for instance, let's say we sold probably a million albums or thereabouts. And there was a, in those days, it was $10 an album, wasn't it? Probably around about that. So $10 million went somewhere. <laughs> it was sure as hell didn't come to me. <laughs> you know, somebody got it. You know? <laughs> so anyway. So, yeah, so after the nuts. band disbanded, um, then you move on to what? John, the guitarist, and I went on to production and songwriting it was a financial thing i mean it's bad I, I wish we hadn't split the band but it's just kind of the way it went we just saw that our producer was earning a fortune and we weren't so it was a financial decision but it was also musically i think the band had reached a bit of a stale point because we were, we'd lost the heart a little bit so we figured well why don't we just go off and just for a while just write some songs for other people try and make some records for people and see how we do and we did really well in the 90s we had we had three number one hits in the uk and we and we had quite a few top tens all really cheesy pop i have to say but hey why not <laughs> it was fun to do cheesy pop <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You won't hear too many people talk about their own records that way. So I give well, you I wasn't singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, I wasn't singing. I was just writing and producing. I don't care. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always a place for cheesy pop now, isn't there? Oh, there certainly is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like what well, they call it a, uh, oh, uh, what's the word? A guilty pleasure. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was uh, Gwen Stefani and stuff. I love some of that stuff. I, I do like pop occasionally, not all the time. But sure. yeah, we, we were in the boy band area, though. We were doing some real, real cheese, you know, proper fromage. I looked at the list of people that you'd work with in this regard. Yeah. And uh, I have to admit that I wasn't familiar with most. But there was one that popped out at me, and that was Baja Men. Oh, I love the Baja. Oh, man, we had such a good time with those guys. Yeah, we did a whole album with them. Yeah, in the Bahamas, which was very nice. And we ended up mixing it in Miami. Uh, it was wonderful. They were really supremely talented, lovely, lovely guys. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And uh, now, were you involved with Who Let the Dogs Out? No, this was prior. The Baja Men, they're a strange band. They're run by, I think it's the bass player. And he runs a club in the Bahamas. And he is the Baja men and then just brings people in and out. So it's, it's almost like it's like a franchise, you know. So the three guys who did Who Let the Dogs Out, we didn't even meet them. That was a whole new thing. Um, when we did it with them, there was a whole band. They called it Junkanoo. It was Junkanoo band. So, so all the drums, were they were using all the tin can stuff and all that. Great songs. Oh, man, it was it was really good fun. Yeah. So you all got back together. Obviously, you, you toured a year ago. So you got back together at some point. When was that? What happened was Johnny, the bass player, really sadly, his wife um, got ill and she died. And this was about 10 years, 10 years ago. I'm terrible with time. It was no, it wasn't quite as long as 10 years ago. But exactly at that time, John, the guitarist and I were both living in Australia. And we thought, you know what, let's make an Escape Club album because why not? Let's just do it for the fun of it. We asked Johnny if he wanted to do it. And obviously because of his circumstances, he really couldn't. Milan, the ex-drummer, didn't want to do it either, so we had to get a new drummer. So we got a friend of ours, Red, who we've known for years. So the three of us made an album called Celebrity, which we really enjoyed making. It was great fun. And we used our, the production techniques that we'd learned over the years, you know, 
doing it for other people we could use now on the escape clubs you know we're learning about songwriting and production so i think it's a really good album and that just sort of sat there for a while we did a couple of gigs just as the three of us but it wasn't until johnny said yeah look you know what i do want to join again and, and he brought him he came along with his bass and that makes a massive difference it sounds like the escape club with johnny playing so that was well last year really so we did a tour the lost 80s tour last year we're in the middle of doing a new album that's probably a year away because these things take so long because especially especially in lockdown because we're all doing it virtually so we're no we're back here we're back and we're loving it we're just really enjoying making music for ourselves and actually going out gigging playing to people who want to hear us you know it's great that's great and who knows lightning could strike again you never know (laughs) you never know (laughs) i tell people you know all the time you know the odds of getting a hit record are incredibly steep oh god yeah And so to get a hit record is quite an achievement and to get a number one record or a top 10 record, and you've had two of those. Yeah. That is truly, you know, it's a combination of of talent and, and, and lightning striking at the same time. I think the lightning has a lot to do with it. But yeah, it's talent as well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It it, yeah I feel very blessed. I've had, had a few hits. I'm very lucky to. Absolutely yeah. right. So you're you're going forward. You've got a new album coming down the road. Uh, any other plans for the future? What are you doing these days besides staying home and trying to stay away from virus? Well, what I was doing pre-virus was I was developing acts. I was sort of specializing, sort of helping acts out and, and getting involved, consulting for people and everything. But that's obviously all dried up because no one's doing anything. So so at the moment, I'm just working on getting the getting our band stuff together. I'm, I'm helping um, a few people with a couple of websites and stuff. But really, honest, quite honestly, it's dried up. Same, And everyone I talk to, it's the same thing, all the musicians. It's going to really affect our world when we do come out of this, how many of us are left to actually make music, you know? Okay, well, listen, anything else you want to talk about that I haven't covered? Oh, you covered everything, Mark. That was really good. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you for coming and talking with me. I appreciate it so much. Me too. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. That was Trevor Steele of The Escape Club. Interesting story, I think. Interesting guy. And thank you for listening. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Please rate us positively, I hope. And we'll catch you again next Wednesday with another episode of RPM 45.